Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom in the Eating Disorder Treatment Center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I'm getting a chance to sit down with Opal co-founder and head of the exercise and sport program, Kara Bozzi. Hi, Kara. Hi. We are recording, as we have been, from two different locations. I'm at home and you're at Opal. And we have kind of a fun little conversation we're going to have today. (laughs) I know, I'm Um, excited. We're talking about TV. (laughs) (laughs) Bring some levity. Bring some levity. (laughs) I know during a pandemic, I know, you know, there's sort of an ideal version of myself that maybe isn't watching as much TV as she actually is, but I'm owning it and I'm watching some awesome stuff right now. And um, what are you watching? I want to hear. What's your list? Oh, man. Gosh. Well, I... I got a text a little bit before we started recording this from a friend that was like texting me about killing Eve season three coming out. Do you I, know that show? No, I don't know that show. Oh my God. It's this, this very lovable female assassin who is so funny and so fashionable. And it's, <laughs> it's like the smartest show. And basically the, the detective that is trying to catch her falls in love with her. And oh. so it's this like serial killer and sociopathic detective that fall in love. Okay. And it's so good. It's written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who also wrote my other favorite show, Fleabag. Okay. Incredible. I haven't watched that one either. It's, oh, you got, you got to watch it. Miss, am I missing out? Yes. Yes. Seriously. Okay. But then I'm also trying to watch some things that make me totally forget about all feelings and reality. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like the Great British Bake Off or RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, yeah, just stuff. What are you uh, watching? I know. I noticed as even ever as we're talking about it, I'm like, I want to go watch TV right now. <laughs> it's a very nice escape. It's a very nice escape. Yeah, we have such a range. We're doing. It's like what shows do we watch as a family? What shows mm-hmm. do we watch with my oldest kid and my husband and I? What shows do I watch with my husband and I? And what shows do I watch with my oldest and I? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. all of them are different. But we are watching, let's see, a sampling of them is The Good Place. Oh, yeah. With my oldest child and I. The kids and I are watching Wonder Years. Going oh. back to a show I loved when I was a kid. It's mm-hmm. making me happy. We are also watching a cooking show as a family. Which one? Uh, Top Chef. Nice. The LA, like uh, the superstars, or the all-stars. Oh, cool. Yeah. Have you seen Top Chef Seattle? Yes. I'm in it. Yes. I think I remember you saying that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Little fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. David, my husband's watching. He definitely watched Tiger King. I said no to that one. <laughs> I know a lot of people are watching it, but I didn't want to. It's funny. Like my mood for what kind of TV I want to watch goes up and down, but yeah, it's pretty fun. Well, I know we've both watched cheer. Yes. Which is why we're here today. Yes. (laughs) To talk about cheer. (laughs) For those that don't know what cheer is, how would you describe it? Oh man. It, it's a documentary about a cheer team in Texas uh, Navarro Community College. And it is, let's see, it's six episodes. 
it's pretty, it, it, well, I, I, it's awesome. Uh, I love it. And, but I also ha- could share how I felt going into watching it. Cause I, I resisted wanting to watch it. It is about a cheer squad. That's really competitive and like at the top of their, their sport. And it's a, yeah, a documentary that helps us get to see what these athletes lives are like, what their experiences in training and competing so it gives a window into a lot of themes we've talked about at Opal. And that's why we were very excited to bring it into this podcast because it talks about coaching. It talks about, um, it, it covers stuff around competitiveness. It covers stuff about race and privilege. It covers things about injury and pushing and intensity. Body image. Body image. Yep. It's, it, it, was, it lights up a lot of parts. So... Mm-hmm. Why were you resistant to watching it? So I think my girls started watching it before me and I think they played me the trailer and the, I immediately thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to totally react to this because of the coach. I thought I was going to really not like her. And I thought I was going to get super activated by what they were displaying on TV about like a coach. I don't want to go to TV and get activated. Like I want to have a, I want it to be pleasurable. And so I'm pretty like boundaried about not watching things that activate me that I don't want to be activated in after work. That's good. So, yeah. The other thing in the trailer is, you know, there, I would like the body piece too, of just like, is there going to be, bo- like, I, I think I saw this very quick snippet of a smaller bodied athlete and I immediately assumed there wouldn't be body diversity. So that was where mm-hmm. my immediate assumption went. And I was like, I can't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of like prejudgment. <laughs> oh, I I just wasn't interested in cheerleading, to be honest. I think I felt like, well, you know, but no, I'm not interested. I didn't go to a school that had cheerleading. I haven't been exposed to it very much and I just wasn't interested, but I got so into it. And the different athletes on the team were mesmerizing. I loved them. I loved them so much. But I, I think as I finished it, I think I finished it pretty quickly. (laughs) I was really disappointed that it was only six episodes. Um, And I emailed you and said, we have to do an episode about this because you're right. There's so much going on in terms of the team dynamics. And we've done some episodes before around like how to shift toxic sports culture in varying different sports. And there's something about this, the show and the Navarro community college cheer team that made me think really differently about some of the stuff that I've heard you talk about before. I kind of like had your glasses on, you're like looking through uh-huh. the Carolyn's as I was watching the show, but the, the intensity of the sport and Monica Aldama, who is the coach is so cutthroat at first. Like that's sort of the window into who she is as a coach. She's like forcing people to continue practicing. Cause they've broken some, there was one guy that like, broke some rule of hers and got injured while he was doing so. And she's like, okay, well, you're going to go through this entire practice injured. Yep. Sorry. That's your fault. And you just watch him like in excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this is so unethical, <laughs> but somehow I was so on her team through the mm-hmm. end of the show. There were moments mm-hmm. like that where it's like, this is, this is a lot. 
Mm. But the way that her team responded to her and felt very much like her children, I think a lot of them said that they felt like, you know, she was a mom to them, was really powerful to me. Yeah. Once you understand her deep care for these kids, then it puts into context some of the intensity and the decision-making she's having because she's not objectifying them as just performers. But er, the first couple, the first episode, I was like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't know what she's doing with them. Like, and my kids kept being like, mom, just wait, just wait. Like you're going to see that they really care about her and, and she cares about them. So a lot of it needs is contextualized in her deep care of who they are as people. And then it isn't, it really truly isn't all about winning, even though she has extremely high expectations for winning. How do you think she balanced those two things at once? I'm glad this is out there publicly around sport performance because she's right in the gray area that we talk about, right? Around winning and competition and intensity and training and injuries. I would say those were like the gray very, very gray areas. But then you get to see, like, again, it, if it's contextualized in this deep caring for the athlete and knowing their story and kind of why they're doing what they're doing, I think it really filters some of some of the ways that she's training them. I do think the hardest probably part for me was that experience that you named about the kid that was in pain, a lot of pain, and she had him still practice. And I don't know this, but my assumption based on a couple other experiences where there was injuries is that she knew kind of injuries well enough to know that his continuing in the practice wasn't going to further injure him in a really debilitating way. And I'm trying to remember what other, because there was other experiences on the injury front that it was clear, like that they needed to step off the mat and they needed to go take a break. Mm-hmm. Like after concussions, there are a handful of concussions. Right. Many. And so and that's, that's a big piece of that. That's a, that was a very fascinating piece of like, there is so much injury in that sport. And what do you do? How do you navigate the injuries? Because, you know, especially like at Opal, we're talking about how do you take care of yourself? This is why I loved this show because people often swing to the other end of like, if you feel anything or there's any kind of pain or if there's any kind of whatever, of course you would stop. Of course you wouldn't push through that. But the reality is it is a lot more gray when it comes to high competition. And I think another contextual piece that was super important is these kids were come like we got to see their backgrounds and what it meant to be on this cheer squad so I think, I, I think it's Morgan. So Morgan had that experience and I can't remember exactly what episode it was, but where her ribs were in a lot of pain when she was, you know, when, when she was doing the buckets and getting caught. The basket tosses. Yeah, the basket tosses. Where she gets flown into the air and then caught by three different guys. Right. And she had, you know, incredible rib pain. She went to the doctor. The doctor gave her the news of you know, you're putting yourself at major risk by continuing with this, because if any of your ribs break, it could puncture other organs that are life-threatening. And Morgan, you know, like went to the doctor, (laughs) didn't heed to the recommendation and continued. And I don't, that was interesting too. Like how much did Monica know of what the doctor said? What's Monica's relationship with the doctors? We never got to, we never got to have a window into that. But what I thought about with Morgan is I could understand why Morgan made that decision given the context 
of who, what her community and her support system was leading up to Navarro and like how kind of Navarro was positioned as a place she felt safe and family and what she was willing to risk because of that being her community. It made me think of a, of the Olympics. I don't remember what year it was when, um, you know, the gymnast did the vault on a, a broken ankle or a, a sprained ankle. And it's like the athlete, yeah, athletes kind of making that decision of what risk they're willing to put themselves in from an injury standpoint to do, to, to compete and be a part of this goal. And I, I could, I could understand why Morgan made that decision given the context of her family. Um, she didn't yeah. really have, she had some grandparents that I think eventually were big parts of her life, but otherwise had been pretty abandoned by her parents. And yeah, you got to see like, oh, this is for her to not be able to practice or, you know, the, the goal of most of the athletes through the first probably half of the series is to make mat, which means that they're sort of the creme de la creme of the athletes on the team that are going to get to be able to actually perform in the championship in Daytona. So for her to even be in practice meant that she had to do these basket tosses or she was done. Right. And so to think about the amount of loss that's there, loss of identity, loss of purpose, maybe loss of scholarship. I mean, there's just right. so much on the line. Right. And if you have nothing else, I can also understand that. The other piece that I thought was a little, my so the, the one around the kid being injured and still practicing. And then the other one that I was like, hmm, I, I don't know what I don't know, but the kind of the emotional expression piece of, the kind of not crying on the mat, like the, the couple times when there was tears, people going to the bathroom and getting their alone time when they felt emotional and they were crying. And it sort of felt like the safest option was to go to the bathroom and have the emotions out there and not cry in front of like during the practice in the gym. And so I wonder about that one. I like, I, I, that I felt like I'd love to know, like, do athletes feel like, how did that, did the athletes feel safe to express the emotion? And cause I know that that is culturally a large part of athletics that can be problematic of, of feeling like there's no room for crying when you're training. And Monica seemed to be, you know, I mean, she has to keep the practice going. She has to keep things moving along. So that's also like something important and okay. She noticed the kid goes in the bathroom and maybe that's not the time to follow up about the emotion. And is there a place for that? Because you see her, you see her getting into their personal lives and um, caring about things that are hard. Like one of the, the the pieces that was really touching was this kid, you know, the kid Lexi and having some problems with the law. And Monica went to the police station with her and walked her through the whole experience. Right. So she's caring about things that are tough, and I think there's space for that. But within the practice setting. It was just kind of interesting to see the kids going to the bathroom to do their crying. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that because in a, I think that I saw or I felt a lot of appreciation that there was sort of an openness of people crying and people then the rest, the other teammates or assistant coaches going like, oh, she just needs a minute and that being okay. And, and I witnessed that and sort of thought through like, okay, these, these athletes are working so hard to the point that most of them are going to are crying at some point on this show, most of them wind up crying. And that is part of the process. And I was sort of imagining that 
the responses from the coaches was one of like, okay, yeah, we are going to be crying and that's normal. This is really hard. This really sucks. You're going to get frustrated. Take your time and come right back. Like do what you need to do. If a friend needs to go check on, on that other athlete that just left. Great. Follow her into the bathroom, see if she's okay, but like come back when you're ready and we're going to be stronger than ever. And I thought that that actually looked more like acceptance and uh, movement through emotion in order to get better rather than sort of a compartmentalizing of it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's, it's interesting. Like, yeah, I hear you saying that. And I think I wasn't sure because I, I wondered about when, when do we t- kind of express the emotion and take care of ourselves in that way and return to something? And when would we want to be relational and let someone in on how we're feeling and letting someone in on the emotion? And I just wondered how often that was happening between the athlete and Monica when they're not getting through a practice. Knowing that in, in my sport context, there wasn't space for, for, I didn't feel that there was space to bring that kind of emotion to a coach. And I've heard a lot of athletes talk about that 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 there wouldn't be, but again, seeing her relate to these athletes and some of their hard situations and how she was talking about them, I would imagine she would be somebody who would. So I know it's interesting. Yeah. I found myself desperately wanting to be on that team. (laughs) (laughs) I think that some of it was having her there as this like really motherly figure, but also a motherly figure that like expected a lot. I think that that particularly for a female coach was a really beautiful combination to see, even though I was terrified of her, you kind of saw that in the athletes as well, that there was this admiration and and terror simultaneously and also a lot of tenderness and playfulness and some real friendship. But it made me just think and appreciate kind of the, the possibilities of sport culture and how many different versions of a kind of family system could be played out within a team. And that was one that, that kind of touched on every single, uh, like every, I don't know how to even say it. It touched on everything. (laughs) It touched on like, you know, a lot of really hard work together, grief together, excitement together, pushing each other, anger, excitement, playfulness. I mean, they kind of did it all together. Yes. Which I would say is like a good representation of team sports. And it goes to why there's so much grief and loss when somebody gets off team sports. Yeah. And then, and then these exits, right? These exits into, okay, you're done with team sports. Most people don't know that so many needs were getting met within them. And so they don't, and they don't have the support of the exit of now what I've been stripped of this thing that has provided so many needs I think probably a lot of the watchers would be like, I'd love to be a part of like, you're so drawn in to wanting to be a part of that. Yeah. Like you you kind of get sad afterwards. You're like, is Lexi okay at the end? Right. She's not on the team anymore. No. And is she going to be okay? And Monica's reaching out to her, but how long will that last? And you're just like, Oh, I know. I started going on some, you know, long trail of investigation on those very questions. I was like, how's everybody doing? our family did that too yeah we're like is Lexi what's going on with Lexi well I could tell you yeah she She went back she got accepted back onto the team yeah she actually wasn't really at a rave at the end that was shot months before while she was still out of the team you know anyway if you haven't watched the show these are really extraneous details but I feel a lot of grief for them now that there's this pandemic because the show came out somewhat recently 
And there was so much of me that got really invested in their sort of like journey to the championship at Daytona. After I finished watching the show, I realized that Daytona was coming up and like they've gone through this whole Netflix show. They, a lot of them are now famous. They are back on the team. They're training again and Daytona's canceled. And to know all of that and to know these individual athletes that are in Navarro, Texas with nothing to do suddenly was pretty devastating to think about. Totally. That actually reminded me of something I wanted to say about it too. That is unique is I don't know very many sports where there's it all climaxes to one competition and one event where, and I, what did they say? It's a two and a half minute routine. It all kind of boils down to this very small amount of time. And that is not, at least that has not been typical in the sports I've done with track and cross country and basketball. There's a lot of competition and a lot of chances. And so again, just the unique, each sport bring kind of a unique culture that has its own aspects that it's bringing. And in this case, like the pressure, and I think they, they talked about that really well too, of like the pressure that gets placed given the nature of the, of, of what's out there for the competition, that it's this one, they really have the one shot and that just makes the training and everything about it also unique in that way. The emphasis on perfection is kind of understandable given those circumstances. Whereas again, I had your, your brain that I was sort of <laughs> borrowing while I was watching the show. Cause I was like, this is really interesting because I see why perfection matters. And I know that you would say that there's such a big difference between perfectionism and excellence. And I think Monica was more emphasizing excellence, but there had to be a lot of perfectionism in it. Yeah. I feel like her expectations were high, but again, to me, she's not objectifying these athletes uh, in a way that they would feel like pieces of SHIT if they're, um, I don't think she was contributing to that. No, it's, it felt like it was maybe more aspirational. Yeah. Um, or encourage some more aspirational thinking. Like if I could do this, if I can, if I can nail this, then this, or then I get this admiration or then I get this support or then I get this access or opportunity. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it left me curious, like how is everyone doing? How would everyone be doing in five years once the totally. opportunity to be on this team is over? Yeah. But, oh my goodness. So cool. Yeah. They're also, I mean, I would like the, the piece around the culture of being in this tiny conservative white Christian town. That part was fascinating and having so much diversity being brought into that team. And I would, I wanted more of that. I wanted to hear like there was, that got addressed to some degree of how she, how she was kind of experiencing kind of the, the clash between the Texas small town culture and how she related to her athletes. And I really appreciated that. I thought that was, that was also a really sweet moment. I think she was driving in the car and talking about her boys and how she's protective of her boys that, you know, that are gay and um, in a town that that wouldn't be, there was, there's more homophobia. I was really impressed by her in that too. <laughs> yeah. I think that again, it, it served as this really protected family system. You know, just like, despite the setting that we're in, despite that we're in this really small town, my team gets to be a place where these like 
boisterous, incredible, flamboyant, hilarious black gay men get to have a home and they get to be more of themselves than they have ever gotten to be elsewhere. And that is because they have a place in this particular sport. And it's because I'm allowing them to have a place here too and celebrating who they are and what they bring to the team and the power and the spirit that is there because of it. It was just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like she was trying to do any kind of assimilating environment, right? Like it was, she was allowing kind of everyone to show up as they were and to see the athletes respond to that was really special. I love that. She talked about at that end that I was really impacted by that um, circle time in the, I think it was like, I don't know if it was in the last episode, but when they all, they all sat around the circle, I think this might've been right before they went to the big competition at Daytona and they're sharing kind of their stories and um, the impact the program had on them and Monica had on them. And, you know, that's where they talked about like their suicide, like somebody who had the suicidality um, or the, the suicide attempt actually in that circle time. And then Monica kind of talking about her calling into the pro, like how she's felt called to be a coach and the sacrifices she's made in her family. And I also felt really connected to that of having a coach in my family <laughs> and knowing that those sacrifices are real too, of investing in kids that are not in your family. So I was really touched by that part. Back to what you were saying about sort of like Monica being able to create this space of family and acceptance for these black gay men on her team. I also thought it was really interesting with Gabby Butler, who was introduced as kind of this superstar cheerleader that also was on the team who had a really different life than most of the other athletes on the team because she was she seems to have a massive social media following and she's an influencer and she's all these sponsorships and ad campaigns, et cetera, um, and is admired. And you could see her on the team. And then you also got all these windows into her life outside of the team and how intense her parents were managing her and really did treat her more like a commodity, which was horrific to watch. But again, really beautiful to see what Gabby was able to have within the team setting where she wasn't treated that way and she got to be just one of the group and she got to have vulnerabilities and she got to have weaknesses and she got to be celebrated and celebrate others and not be sort of this like revered superstar cheerleader that her parents kind of like needed her to be to bring income for everybody. I was, yeah, I think too, um, I realized... I was pretty impacted by the makeup piece because when they were, you got to see so much of the time that they're in practice and they did get to be themselves and they didn't have their makeup on. They weren't primped. They were athletes, like major, major athletes that didn't care. And then they, they talk, you know, they show their process of getting ready and having the primping and the makeup and the hair, but it was such a minimal part of their experience with cheerleading that I think that whole appearance oriented side, it really, to me, did not align with the assumptions I've had about that sport. And again, yeah, like with even what you're saying about Gabby, the freedom of being kind of who they were within that protect within that team culture. I know it's such a special thing. Well, getting to talk about cheer makes me feel like (laughs) probably so many other 
kind of cultural phenomenons or things in pop culture right now that would be really interesting to just chat about. So if any listeners have, have made their way through this episode and like, oh my gosh, you guys should talk about this show that we've watched or this book that I've read or this other thing, reach out to us. We would love to hear. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Opal Food and Body, or you can um, reach out to us via our website at opalfoodandbody.com. You, of course, also can find out more about our programming there as well as our community events. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to Camille Dodson for management and support of the podcast during this time. Thank you to Jackstraw Cultural Center for being our sound engineering team, even though we aren't getting to be with them right now in studio. Thank you to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music and to Hans Anderson for editing. Join us next time. Bye.